Chapter Two of the Boy Scouts on Lost Trail by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, The Story of Lost Trail. As soon as evening mess was over and camp duties for the day completed, the four boys met at a favorite spot on the edge of the lake, affording an unobstructed view to the west, and where a few choice spirits were wont to gather at the hour of the setting sun. Among themselves it was known as Woodhall's Point, because it was a former leader of the Delawares, Lewis Woodhall, who had first discovered its charm and made it a rallying point for his followers. The sun was well below the horizon formed by the jagged skyline of the higher mountains, and the crown of bald old Stuart was bathed in a glory of crimson which found its reflection far out in the mirror-like surface of the lake, and by contrast made blacker the heavy shadows of the mountain's flank and the wood-girt margins of the lake. The spirit of peace and great calm seemed brooding over the world, and a solemn hush like a benediction pervaded the wilderness as if the very trees offered a silent blessing on the parting day. The boys sat silently gazing out over the darkening lake. Even the irrepressible spud had succumbed to the influence of the place and the hour. The crimson glow faded. A soft, clear light lingered on the mountain top, as if loath to yield to the coming night. The shadows deepened to impenetrable blackness. Far back on the edge of a lumber cutting, a great horned owl, Bubo Virgianus, abruptly hooted, and the fierce notes startled all four from their reveries. Indeed, Spud gave a perceptible start. Walter noticed it. It's a lucky thing that Spud isn't a hare. He's so nervous he'd give himself away to old Hushwing at the very first hoot, he remarked. I'm glad I'm not a little hare to jump to death at every scare. I'd rather be a little boy, my papa's and my mama's joy, announced the unabashed Spud. I hereby call this meeting to order, announce the Honorable Mr. Edward Plimpton, otherwise known as Sister, as the Speaker of the evening, and move, second, and announce as unanimously carried, a vote of thanks to the Honorable Spud Eli for his services as presiding officer. Gentlemen, Mr. Plimpton. The real purpose of the meeting thus being duly set forth, all dreaming due to the influence of the hour, and the surroundings abruptly ended, and Plimpton at once plunged into his tale. As near as I can find out this trail, known only as Lost Trail, first came into prominence in the early French and Indian Wars, and was used in many raids on the border settlements of the English. Even then it was shrouded in mystery, at least that is the way it appears from the records, a handful of Indians under a French leader would suddenly appear, raid an outlying settlement, and as suddenly disappear, that they had not come, and did not return to their strongholds by any of the known trails was soon established, for a close watch was kept on these trails, and it would have been next to impossible for a war party to pass over them without being seen, or at least leaving some record of their passage either going or coming. Later in the War of the Revolution the same thing happened. No large expeditions ever took this trail, as it was understood to be difficult for troops burdened with the necessary camp equipment to follow, and this is probably true from what we know of the nature of the country. But for raiding parties traveling light, it appears to have been quite practicable, and if certain old legends are to be believed, many an American scalp reached the Indian strongholds in Canada by way of this old trail through the mountains. It is said 
that no prisoners were ever taken over this trail lest one should escape and carry the secret of it back to the settlements the raiding parties invariably killed and scalped all who fell into their hands as a result the trail was known all along the border as the trail of the bloody scalp and doubtless it was credited with playing a much more important part in the border warfare than was actually the case it is probable that many successful raiders were alleged to have used the old trail when if the truth were known they were never within miles of it there is a story of an old trapper whose cabin had been raided during his absence and his family killed by the redskins single-handed he started out on the trail of the red devils and found that as he suspected they had taken the bloody scalp trail somewhere up in the mountains here he came up with them a party of six headed by a white renegade leaving themselves beyond pursuit they had grown careless and had posted no guard waiting until all were asleep he shot the leader and then with club musket leapt into their midst and brained two before they recovered from the first surprise of the attack it happened that he was something of a ventriloquist and right here is where his powers stood him in good use throwing his voice from one side to the other he made it appear that the savages were surrounded by foes and the remaining three made a break for their lives without stopping to fight or see what had happened to their companions then satisfied with his vengeance and knowing the hopelessness of pursuing through a country of which he knew nothing he took the back trail and safely reached the settlements after the wars ended and the indians had been driven from this section or had become partially civilized the old trail appears to have been forgotten save by certain lawbreakers notably a band of smugglers who had somehow learned of its existence and found some old indian to guide them over it for a time considerable contraband stuff reached the states via canada but the place of entry was a mystery the revenue officers were at their wits end when one of them posing as a hunter by chance stumbled on a cabin hidden in a lonely hollow back here in the mountains and found evidence that convinced him that it was a sort of cache for smugglers returning he got together a posse and with an old trapper to guide them they surrounded the cabin just after the gang had brought in a lot of contraband goods from canada a sharp battle followed in which two or three were wounded but no one killed and the whole gang was captured ever since then the place has been known as smugglers hollow after this affair the old trail appears to have been little used save by an occasional trapper or hunter in time the lumbermen broke into this country and with their wasteful methods of which we had seen so much evidence right around here they skinned the country almost to the canada line fires followed as they always do where such methods are employed and after these came snowslides in winter and landslides in summer with freshets on every stream each spring and constant erosion all along the watersheds because of the inability of the bare soil to hold and conserve the water all these things helped to obliterate the old trail until virtually it ceased to exist at least beyond smugglers hollow and there is no certainty that the present trail to the latter place is the original bloody scalp trail it has been called lost trail for years and so far as i can find out no one in the last twenty years has had interest enough to try to follow it through to the end of course it is possible that some old trappers or maybe some outlaws like poachers and violators of game laws still know of it and use it but if they do they keep it to themselves i guess it is supposed in the old days that the trail ended in the indian village on the canadian side of the line but indian villages never were permanent 
and whether there is anything at all or not in the other end now, I haven't been able to find out. I think it would be great fun to try and work out the old trail and prove what kind of scouts we are. Anyway, if we've learned anything worthwhile about woodcraft, we are bound to come out somewhere. Sure, broke in Spud. We couldn't help it if we wanted to. Everybody is somewhere all the time. Why, fellows, we're somewhere right now. We're here. Spud spoke with an air of such pleased discovery as to be quite irresistible, and a general laugh followed. Nobody is ever nowhere, continued Spud, and if everybody is always somewhere, why, nobody is ever really lost. It's the somewhere that is lost. Where did you say this somewhere is that we are to come out at, sister? Spud was suddenly pulled over backward. There was a brief struggle. His hands were bound behind his back with a handkerchief, and another served as a gag. "'Go on, sister,' panted Walter, while Hal raised the unfortunate Spud to a sitting position. "'A little sunshine-maker slipped a cog and short-circuited. But he's all right now. Fire away.' Plimpton grinned. "'What I mean is,' he continued, "'that we can't go very far astray.' You see, the St. Lawrence River is bound to prevent us from rediscovering Hudson Bay anyway, and if we failed to really find the old trail, we could have a bully time just tramping across to the big river or to some railway station on this side. Of course, we could stop at the railroad that is on this side of the line and travel that way over to Lake Champlain. But it seems to me that it would be more fun to cut across this road and keep on to the end of the Lost Trail or some point in Canada where we can connect for Montreal. We'll see Champlain and Lake George on the way back. What do you fellows think of it? It listens good to me, seeing that the main trip is off, said Hal promptly. How about you, Walt? Same here, replied Walter. Sounds bully. We can make it a regular exploring trip. Of course, as first-class scouts, we ought to live off the country, and as the open season on birds and deer will be on, I believe we can do it and have the time of our lives. All I'm afraid of is that the folks at home will object. You know, we've never been into the deep woods without a guide, and I have a hunch that the powers that be will raise a holler. A guide is but yous be after, Naden. Sure tis myself that the boss little guide of the north woods, and though I don't know where it is yous be after wanting to go, tis Pat Malone will take yous there. But at anywhere or nowhere, broke in a rich Irish voice, before the others could voice their surprise at Pat's sudden appearance among them, Spud broke in. "'It isn't anywhere or nowhere that we want to go, Pat. It's somewhere. But we don't know just where that is. Can you take us there?' "'Sure,' replied Pat. "'Just as easy as I untied you without your enemy, your friends, being any the wiser. I will not mention what I do be thinking of a bunch of scouts that will let anyone stroll into camp.' and then with their eyes open, without so much as a challenge. Ah, now, sure tis not a guy but a nurse you be needin'. If yous be going into the big woods, tell me about it. Sure, Pat, replied Walter, making room for Pat to sit down beside him. You put one over to us that time, but you see we were so interested in sister's yarn about Lost Trail that none of us was on guard. Bet you couldn't sneak into camp on us that way if we were really on watch. Goody fellas. Most empathetic no was a response to this appeal. Pat was seemingly occupied in gazing at a friendly little star that winked down at him. Be prepared. Sure, there's a pretty motto, 
he murmured to the friendly star. "'But it is better forgotten after the trouble be over "'than misremembered before the trouble begins, to my way of thinking.' "'Don't rub it in, Pat,' pleaded Walter. "'You caught us napping this time in a way that no good scout ever should be caught. "'Now listen to our little tale of woe and sister's plan for making the best of it, "'and tell us what you think about it.' With this, Walter plunged into the story of the miscarriage of their plans for the main trip, and briefly reviewed Plimpton's plan for the substitute trip. Pat listened in silence to the end. Then he arose abruptly, threw his shoulders back, brought his heels together with a sharp click, gave the scout salute, and said, "'Pat Malone, first-class scout, leader of the Bull Moose Patrol, the same being the best bunch of boy scouts in the North Woods, bar none.' volunteers his services free and without cost and by the same token tis himself that has been to the smuggler's hollow last words brought all the boys to their feet everybody talking at once and all crowding around pat as they plied him with questions was it true could he find the way there again did he know anything about the trail beyond would it be a hard trip could they live off the country how long would it take to make the trip Finally, Pat broke away, and doubling his big fists, threatened to knock the block off for the next by that asked a question. Then once more they sat down to an earnest discussion of the lost trail plan, and Pat told them what he knew of the country as far as Smuggler's Hollow. Beyond there he had not been, but he had talked with lumbermen and hunters who had, and he had no doubt that the trip through to some railroad or river village in Canada would be made even if the original trail could not be found. In the midst of the discussion, the first bugle, ten minutes before the sounding of taps, warned them that there was no time to lose in getting back to camp. It was hurriedly agreed that Walter and Plimpton should lay the plan before Dr. Miriam, the head of Woodcraft Camp, the next day in an endeavor to get his approval. With this gain, the boys felt sure of winning over their parents. Pat bade the others good night and started for the lumber camp some two miles distant where he was employed promising to return the following evening to learn the verdict of Dr. Miriam. "'What do you think of having Pat go along?' asked Hal as they paused in front of the wigwam of the Delawares, of which Dry Walter, Spud, and Plimpton were members. "'I think it's the solution of the whole problem,' replied Walter promptly. "'I doubt very much Dr. Miriam would approve of us going on any such trip without a guide. And you know Pat is a licensed guide now?' "'No, I didn't know. Is that so?' replied Hal in surprise. That makes a difference. You bet it does, responded Walter with some emphasis. Besides, the doctor takes a great interest in Pat, and I happen to know that he has a great deal of confidence in Pat's ability. Ever since that time Pat showed the stuff that was in him by returning Mother Miriam's pin, which that black rascal of a crow had stolen when the whole camp thought that Pat himself was the thief, the doctor has taken a direct and personal interest in Pat, and has quietly done a lot to help him. I overheard him tell Big Jim that he would have to watch out or Pat would take his laurels. And you know Big Jim is rated the best guide in the North Woods. If Pat can go, I think the doctor's consent to the plan is as good as one. Say, Hal, this trip will be bully. We've got to take our hats off to Sister for thinking of it and planning it all out. I believe it'll be just as much fun as the main trip, and I'm just going to forget all about the latter. Me too replied Hal. Well, so long. See you in the morning. Put it up to the doctor, good and strong. Walter grinned. I'm going to leave that for sister. He's the best little talker we've got. Plus, he's got all the facts. He's prepared. Good night.
End of chapter 2